So good to be here this evening and be joining with one another in our songs and praise to God and lifting up each other. Uh, certainly a great reminder to be thinking about grace. Certainly something that we need as we've gone through the second half of Ephesians. Uh, the first half is all about grace and the second half is all about how we're supposed to respond to that grace. Uh, so I really appreciate those songs uh, that can let us in. Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6 tonight. Um, we've been looking at and studying through um, the more applicable section. All of it's really applicable, but uh, the more uh, down to the nitty-gritty of our lives and the things that are going on in our lives, we've talked about uh, or studied about the idea of uh, submission and uh, walking worthy of the calling that God has given us as Christians, uh, what he, he expects of us is for us to be full of honesty and integrity and love for one another, for us to be walking in light, for us to be walking with wisdom, uh, and for us to uh, enter into whatever kind of roles we have in our lives uh, with a heart that is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is what he said in chapter 5, verse 21. And it really sets up the whole section that we're going to be studying about tonight. We've talked about wives submitting to their husbands and husbands giving themselves to their wives. We've talked about children submitting to parents and parents giving themselves to their children uh, and, and training them and bringing them up in the way God wants them to. And tonight we'll be talking about uh, the employer-employee relationship, and I'll, I'll get more into that in just a little bit. Uh, before I do, I wanted to, as I was studying this, I mean, this text has been hugely uh, important to me and, and something that's kind of stood out to me in, in my life. Um, I wanted to talk about something that I've heard a lot whenever I decided to go from engineering to preaching. Um, there was something that, that people would say to me while I was still doing both, and it was something along these lines, when are you going to give up secular work and go into preaching? As though secular work is what you do whenever you're not preaching, anything other than preaching, and then preaching is this whole other field of work uh, that you enter into that's not secular work uh, like, like the other stuff. It's more spiritual than, than your other work that you do. Um, I think as we study through this together, we're going to see that that's not really a good way to look at it. Um, certainly, there's more spiritual uh, focus in preparing sermons and studying the Bible all the time. I mean, obvious. It's obvious, right? Uh, but our work away from the church building, away apart from preaching and teaching the Bible is as much spiritual as the work of the preacher and the Bible class teacher. Um, so, so I think in our society, we tend to separate out the two. But as we study the text that we're going to be studying tonight, we're going to see how they're not separate. The spiritual work uh, that, that all of you do every single day of every single week that you're out there working is as spiritual as the work that I'm doing. And, and I think Paul is going to help us to see that as we study this text together. 
To start off, uh, we'll notice a very similar uh, structure in this text as the previous uh, two sections. We've had a section where he focused on wives who are in the more submissive role, and the, the, parent, the and then after that, the husbands who are in the more authoritative role, and then we saw the children in the more submissive role, and then the parents who are the father specifically who are in the more authoritative role. Well, this also has the same structure, uh, talking about bond servants and then moving to the role of masters. So this is going to be broken up into two sections. First of all, looking at the idea of bondservants is what the ESV translates it as. Um, let's read verses 5 through 8 to see the section on bondservants. It says, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Throughout the ESV translation, it talks about these bondservants. And you kind of wonder, what is that, and why are we reading about them, and how does that have anything to do with me? In order to understand this, we need to go back and understand what was originally being said here. And Maybe your translation says slaves, um, and the ESV chooses not to say that for a very particular reason. Uh, but that's essentially what this word means. Throughout the Bible, if you read bondservant and you read slave, you're reading the same word. It's always the same word, and it's always the same type of person. The only difference is uh, the, the writer or the translator is trying to get across to us the idea of what was originally in the Greek manuscripts, what was originally being talked about. And it's not a slave like we think of slaves. Unfortunately, the 1800s and 1900s have just really messed up uh, what we think whenever we think of slaves. And it's so bad that translators don't use the word slaves. They try to use the word bond servant. Because this is a slave, but it's not the slave like we know of from the 1800s and 1900s. It's not somebody who was kidnapped, uh, not somebody who was picked out for their racial ethnicity. Uh, this is someone who is in a slavery situation, but it's not the kind of situations that, that we know of as slavery. But at the same time, you know, they can't use the idea of servant, though some translations might, because it's not exactly like a, a servant either, uh, not like we think of a servant. This is somebody who is enslaved. Uh, but slavery is not the way that we typically think about it. Throughout the Old Testament, we read a lot about slavery. And this idea that there were slaves in the Bible uh, immediately conjures up feelings of uh, you know, anxiety in some, and even despising God for allowing slavery and condoning it, it seems, in the Old Testament. But what you see is slavery was uh, as common as the employer-employee relationship is for us today. It was, it was their way of life. It was their society. It was how they functioned. It was how they operated. And the slavery uh, that was going on was not limitless power of the master over the slave, like, unfortunately, has taken place in our history. But it was regulated. 
and God strictly regulated it. He restricted the power that the master had over the slave. Unlike any other society, uh, the Israelites, whenever they had slaves, they, they were told not to beat their slaves uh, and, and, and harm them and, and injure them. And if they, were, if they were to kill their slave, they themselves would suffer vengeance in some cases. So uh, it wasn't just free reign, enjoying your slaves and all of this. Uh, but it was restricted in many ways, and it was intended to be a form of justice and, and equity among all. In fact, God even set up the system so that the slaves were sure to go free after a set period of time. It was not this, you're a slave forever, and all your descendants will be slaves forever. It was nothing like that, and that's not what God set up. In fact, whenever we move forward in time to the period of the Romans, we see Roman slavery wasn't like we saw in eighteen or 1900s either. It was very common uh, at that time. But it was, it, was, uh, it was different than what God had set up because as they grew more and more evil, they, re they, they released the regulations. They allowed for uh, the evil, the, the kind of like what we see in the 1800s and 1900s in America. And so that kind of stuff was going on in some areas throughout the Roman Empire. But it wasn't necessarily always the case. Uh, it, didn't, it didn't happen like that across the board. There were good masters, there were bad masters, uh, there, were, there were slaves who were just like a, a servant, there were slaves who were uh, treated horribly. Uh, it, and, and whenever we read writings about the time of Romans, uh, we read about uh, slaves possessing fewer legal rights, slaves lacking honor, being subject to whatever the master deems appropriate, and, and not being allowed to own their own land and being considered like property. So there is a sense in which slaves were not counted as equal, and it wasn't the greatest time to live, and it's not anything like what we enjoy today. Okay, So it's not perfect, and it's not really even good in the Roman time. But what does God say should happen in this society, in this Roman society, where there are slaves and there are masters, and it's not like what we have today? Well, you think about our day and how different we are, man, we're blessed. We have contracts where I work, I'm going to work for you for this amount of time, and you're going to pay for my school. And that's kind of the closest relationship we get to that slave-master kind of scenario. Or, or in, in sports, you know, they have all these contracts where people are making millions of dollars, and it's like you're owned by the team. But that's not really the way it is. I mean, they can get out of it. So totally different atmosphere Whenever we come into this text in Ephesians and we read about bond servants, totally different than anything that we're aware of or used to at all. And, and it doesn't seem like the best possible situation. Well, what does God want the bond servant to do, the slave to do, in that horrible situation? Notice what he tells them. He says, obey your earthly masters. Obey your earthly masters. You know, it's funny, like, in our day, <laughs> we would expect 
rebel against them. That's a, that's a tyrannical system. You shouldn't be subject to their, uh, their every whim and their every will and their, their, their haphazard way of counting slaves as nothing. You rebel against them, run away, get your freedom. That's not what Paul tells them. That's not what God wants from them. But instead, he wants them to obey their masters, much like the, the child is supposed to obey their parent. The slave, the bondservant, was supposed to obey his master. God wants them to, to obey them, it says, with fear and trembling. And that's maybe not the best translation. Maybe reverence and respect is probably a better idea. It's that they, they respect and they revere their master because they have come under the service of this master. Maybe it's due to some kind of uh, economic calamity that's fallen upon them. Or maybe it's because of their own foolishness. Whatever the cause is, the master is providing their need and their sustenance. And as a result, God wants this slave to submit to the, the master and obey the master, not with a, a rebellious attitude, but with a respectful attitude, with reverence for the master. And what, is it, what does it mean whenever he says, with a sincere heart, in verse 5? Think about that. He wants these slaves to have a sincere heart when they obey their master. To help us understand the sincere heart idea, I think it helps for us to understand an insincere heart. And this is what Paul describes. He says, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ. What does that mean, eye service? You probably are aware of this. <laughs> we probably have some idea of eye service. I remember plenty of times being in the workplace and just hearing somebody in the cubicle next to me just talking about whatever they wanted to talk about for like six hours of the day. And you know, their, their, their team lead or their boss was out of town on travel, and they just, they just did whatever they wanted to do. They just didn't even care. But, oh, man, if that, that team lead or that boss was over their shoulder, man, they'd be, they'd be on it. And, and maybe they had the Internet pulled up, and, and they'd be watching YouTube, or they'd be doing whatever they wanted to do, and then they'd hear some footsteps, and they'd change it over to their Excel spreadsheet real quick or something like that. Right? It's, it's eye service. It's acting as though you're obeying when you're not really obeying. And he says he doesn't want them to be that way, to be insincere in their obedience. He wants them to be sincere in their hearts. Whenever uh, the, the master tells them something to do, he wants them to obey and to do what the master has said with a sincere heart that desires to do what the master wants them to do. Not just appearing to be righteous and good and obedient, but actually fulfilling it. Then he says uh, not to be like a, a People pleaser. I find that translation very interesting. Not like a people pleaser. Um, is, is it not good to be a people pleaser? I mean, kind of consider myself a people pleaser. Maybe a lot of people here are kind of like that. We like to please people. It makes us happy to, to make people happy. Well, that's not really what he's talking about. Uh, what, he's, what he's talking about is just doing enough work to satisfy the requirement. And, and he's trying to get at a sincere obedience doesn't just do enough 
to, to, to not get into trouble. But they actually do what the original command was intended, was intending to, to happen. They're actually performing everything that the master would want them to do. They're not just trying to, to do enough to, uh, to, to equal out with all the other people who they're working alongside. You know how it's, it works. You've got a bunch of workers and everybody just tries to say about the same level of work. You know, like, don't go too far. Don't, don't work too hard. You'll make us look bad. You just stay down here with us. Uh, we're doing enough to please the, the, the master. You know, we're doing enough to please our employer. Don't, don't make it, don't show them how much more we could do, right? Don't show them how much, how, how, how much better we could obey what he really wants us to do. Don't show them how more efficient we are with all this technology and all this capability at our fingertips. But just do what we've been doing because that seems to be enough and we're not getting in trouble and they think, you know, it's okay. So don't rock the boat. You see that what he's telling the, the servants to do is what the master really wants. He wants them to do what the master truly wants them to do. And he wants them to want to do it. He wants them to be sincere. Whenever they say, I go, sir, I'll do what you ask me to do, he wants them to do it, and he wants them to do it with sincerity. In fact, as you, as you read through this text, it may have stood out to you, uh, the, the phrase that he was using throughout, that, that shows he really wants a very sincere obedience and that it is very important. Notice this repeated phrase. He says, uh, as you would uh, obey as you would Christ. How would you obey Christ if Christ was the one telling you what it is that you're supposed to do? Or uh, as bondservants of Christ. Yeah, I know you're this guy's bondservant, but you're also Christ's bondservants, the way he talks about uh, Christian, that a Christian, as even though they're a servant of this master, they are a bondservant of Christ as well. And the master, Christ, has told them to obey their earthly masters. So do it as though Christ has commanded you to do whatever the master has said. And he says it again in verse 7, as you would Christ. It's a picture of service. Because Christ is the one who's behind the master's command somehow. And as we hear this, in all the different work situations that we're in, I mean, there's so many work situations, I'm sure, in this building. Uh, there may be some who are self-employed, in which case your master may be your customer. Uh, there may be some who are stay-at-home moms, <laughs> and in which case, I don't know, the husband, I don't know. Uh, you know, there may be some who are, uh, you know, just nurses and they have managers over them, uh, accountants. Uh, there may be all kinds of different people throughout the building right now. And as you try to relate to the bondservant, think about the difficulty of obeying whoever it is that has authority over you as though they are Christ. And think about the reasons why we don't. Have you ever used the excuse... Well, they're pretty evil people. You know, I'm not talking about uh, obeying the, the master whenever they tell you to do something that's obviously wrong uh, or evil. But, you know, just this person's the slime of the earth, and I don't want to listen to anything he has to say. 
I don't want to help him succeed. I don't want to do the things that are pleasing to him. Uh, but does this allow any wiggle room for that? I mean, if you're obeying Christ whenever you obey them, then who cares what the nature of the person is? Imagine being a bondservant in the first century, a slave in the first century, and having a master, a Roman master, how evil those people might have tended to be. And here is Paul telling these Ephesians, obey. Obey them as you would obey Christ. Well, we may be on the other end of the spectrum. You know, I was a government employee <laughs> for eight years. And maybe you've got great people who are your bosses, but they just don't expect much out of you because it's the government. And, <laughs> and there's just tons of people who are there who don't do much. And so everybody's just lowered the bar so much that they just don't expect much out of you. They don't even ask you to do much of anything. I had to deal with that a lot whenever I was working. Um, we have to be thinking about what he says here. Sincere obedience is important because the commands we're given are coming from not just our boss or our employer, but they're coming from Christ himself. So we need to think about our work as though everything that we've been tasked to do on a daily basis is the work that Christ has commanded us to do. And we are fulfilling the mission that God has given us in our daily lives by doing the work and being the best possible employee or best possible steward that we can be of whatever has been given to us. And he tells us in this text that if we will do that, if we will obey with a good heart, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Whatever good we do, we'll receive back from the Lord. Whether you're a bondservant or free. You know, as we do good in our jobs, we may receive all kinds of rewards. Or it may be you have this horrible boss who takes credit for everything you do, uh, it may be that you just you won't get any appreciation because some other coworker is is ruining everything you're doing, or it may be that you don't get any appreciation just because that's just where you're at. It's just the nature of the work that you do. But notice that there's always someone watching whatever it is you're doing, and that someone is planning to give you a reward for your diligence, for your daily sacrifices that you offer up to him by working hard and doing the work that, that God has given you to do, whatever it is. And so we need to be a people of faith believing these very promises. Whatever good any of us do in whatever work we're involved in, we will receive back from the Lord a reward. So what do we learn from this? All of our work can be eternally rewarding, eternally rewarding if we do it with the right heart, if we have drive and ambition and we do the best that we can. It doesn't even matter if it is physically rewarding on this earth. It will be eternally rewarding. That's a big deal. And it doesn't even matter. I mean, these are slaves, right? 
These are slaves, but it doesn't even matter. They can work for an eternal reward. It's much greater than anything on this earth, and that can be given to them. Now let's swap over to the idea of masters. Notice verse 9. There's only one verse, but notice what it says. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. This is fascinating. Those of you who are at the top, or those of you who are just over others, I actually got that experience just a little bit when I worked for Stanley Steamer. Uh, I was a crew chief uh, for just a little bit, and I was only like 18, 19 years old, and I had someone who was newer working under me who's like 30, and it was just awkward. Um, but, hey, I got to be the crew chief. I got to manage uh, a one person who was in the van with me all day and tell them what to do. Um, but what does he tell the person who has the authority or power over other people? How should they wield that power? How should they use it? Well, the first words are amazing. He says, masters, do the same to them. Do the same to them. What does he mean when he says, do the same to them? Huh. So basically, what the, what the servants were told to do, the masters also are told to do. And he explains it by saying, stop your threatening. You know, don't, don't act toward your servant in a way that is uh, harsh or undignified, but be, be kind, be gentle toward them. Don't try to force them to do what they're supposed to do. Uh, but, but be kind and respectful of them. And the picture is that just like your servants are supposed to be serving the Lord in everything that they do as they obey and submit to you, you also are supposed to consider yourself serving the Lord as you serve your employees or serve those who are under your charge. We live in a time where employees don't really do what they're supposed to do. I mean, I know from my generation and, and my work experience that it's just getting worse and worse and worse. There's less diligent people all around us. And I really feel for future managers of future generations. With technology the way it is, um, it's just going to get worse. Consider how Jesus is the master over the rebellious. Consider how Jesus treats those who are rebelling against him. And think about his methodology of ruling over a rebellious and stubborn people who are, who are just messing up all the time, who don't get it, who have these tendencies to veer off from what they're supposed to do. Consider how he threatens Consider how he forces. And then consider how we're supposed to treat those who are under our authority. It's funny how throughout this whole text, he's been, he's been referring to uh, those who are serving Christ and how Christ serves those under him. In every situation, it, it seems as though that's the intention for us to see that Jesus has set the example for us. 
As Jesus was willing to serve Rome and pay taxes to Caesar and and serve under the religious rulers to some extent, as Jesus was serving toward those who were his disciples and he got out the rag and he washed their feet, we're supposed to follow him in whatever situation we're in. Now imagine how revolutionary all of this was in Rome. To have masters who rule like Christ rules. Who really are seeking the freedom of their slaves. I mean, that's ultimately what Christ is and God are all about. They don't really love slavery. They're not, they don't like slavery. They teach us and help us understand how to survive and how to thrive in a time when there was slavery. But Jesus came to set the captives free. So imagine how revolutionary it would be to say, Masters... You need to remember that your master is Christ and he has set you free from your sin. And how that would change their hearts to no longer rule in a harsh way over their slaves or over those who are under them. But to rule them in a loving way, in a compassionate way that is seeking their good. So that probably servants would choose to stay with the master for the rest of their life. That's that's what we're told happens in the Old Testament. And maybe that would happen in, uh, in the New Testament times as well. Consider how revolutionary it would be for servants and masters to be equal in the body of Christ. You come to church, and maybe you've got a servant who's an elder of the church, and the master who's not. <laughs> and, and how's that going to work, you know? And how's, how's that going to function or operate? But in the body of Christ... Those who are least among you will be the greatest. And those who are greatest will be the least. It's just the picture of that. So this is, this is a totally revolutionary idea that Paul is bringing across uh, for the first century. But it's supposed to be a totally revolutionary idea for us as well. I know that we're all in different situations Uh, Some may be uh, cashiers, some may be managers, some may be nurses, some may be doctors, some may be accountants, some CEOs. Some of you may work all alone. (laughs) But it doesn't matter where you are or what kind of work you do. What matters is our heart's desire to work for the Lord. We cannot go to work with it's all about me getting more for me as our attitude. That's what we see all around us, is people not working for Christ, but people working for themselves. No matter what position you're in, whether you're a slave or master, it doesn't matter. Are you working for yourself or are you working to serve Christ? And the bottom line is, if you want to live worthy of the calling you've been given to receive every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus to be God's adopted children, the worthy life is a life that's lived in service to other people and in service to Christ. So every morning, wake up recognizing that you have an opportunity to work in the kingdom of Christ, that your work is important to Christ, and that it is spiritual and a major part of the kingdom of Christ.
This is how the world got turned upside down. Slaves stopped acting like all the rest of the slaves. They stood out. And their masters took notice, and their masters were converted. And masters stopped acting like masters. And those masters stood out, and all their servants were converted. So much so that Rome had to pass laws to try to stop setting slaves free. Because they were being set free uh, at, at such a great number, they set up a rule to where you couldn't set your slaves free until they reached 30 years old. Okay? It had a transformative effect. And if we want to have a transformative effect in our community and in our world that we live in, in our little sphere of influence, we have to live like Christ in whatever situation we find ourselves in. And this is what will glorify Christ and bring people to him. When we stand out because of our love for God and we make it clear to everybody, the motivation inside of us is, Jesus has served me, so I serve you. Not the motivation is, I really want to get ahead. I really want this promotion. I really want more money or anything like that. But I just want to serve you like Christ has served me. I'm perfectly content where I am. I'm perfectly content with what I have. But I'm not here to meet the status quo. And people might look down on you and and hate you for wanting to do more than they do. But you're not here for them either, their approval. We're here to serve Christ. If, if you know what Christ is all about, if you understand his sacrifice, you understand the calling that he's given to you, and you've not yet submitted to that calling, understand it's a, it's a life-changing uh, calling. It's a life-changing uh, effect that Christ has on all of our lives so that even though we have so much at our fingertips to just rebel against our employers and, and not do what our employees need, we choose to do what's righteous and good to honor God. And if you want to submit your life to Christ, that is something he's calling you to do. He's calling you to submit to your employer, and he's calling you uh, to love and, and serve your employees. But if you're willing to do that, and you're willing to serve Christ, and we can help you in any way, please come as we stand and as we sing.